today we're going to talk about uh, how to handle the victory of others in the presence of your own defeat. You know, many times we see people come and they believe in the gospel of grace or any kind of a gospel, be it the prosperity gospel or be it um, the word of faith or whatever. And, um, you know, if we look at our history in church, we always saw some people that we would declare as more blessed than us. And uh, we are believing the same thing and we are going to the same church, but we would seem, it would always seem as if others are really prospering more than you. So you will either see two kinds of people. You'll see those that are doing so much better than you and you wonder how they get it right and what you are doing wrong that you are not as blessed or you will see those that are poorer than you. You know that you feel man I don't know what's going on there you know I wish it could change for them you know um, but a lot of the time when we look at ourselves we think why can't I get that breakthrough <clears throat> and now what has happened is we even find that in the grace circles you know um, like in any family if you find if you, you can go to any family you know in any family you'll find there is some trouble in any family you'll find somebody that can become ill or somebody that can struggle to find a job or somebody that struggles to have a relationship with God in the best families you can find the worst things happen it is because we are all humans and we live in this in this world so even in the grace family we can find our, our, ourselves <coughs> feel that we thought that now that we love God and that we are resting in the gospel now everything in our life is just going to become perfect we're going to find um, a lot of money coming our way we're going to find that we are always at peace we're going to find that we have got the victory that we've always wanted under the um, other system that we were in you know and I'm, I'm especially speaking people that come from a Dutch reform background that is here or watching me via the via the internet might not really know what I'm talking about but if you if you come out of a charismatic background uh, Pentecostal background you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because we've been <clears throat> we've been a standard has been set and that we've had while we were in the world then we got into the gospel of uh, the Pentecostal gospel and then uh, the world standard was now made reachable because we would have the Holy Spirit and have the power and the anointing to pray in tongues and do the supernatural and now we can reach the higher goal. Now we thought that, um, you know, because we got uh, born again and baptized in water and we can speak in tongues, that we have now been so empowered that when we do a, a race at school, we're going to win. Um, you know, my kids are now going to get the A-team in hockey and, uh, you know, they're going to be the best in the cricket and they're going to be the best because I am now a born-again Christian. And uh, then we found it didn't work. <clears throat> and we start to find fault with ourselves and look at what could be wrong. And in that whole process, we started to do the next thing, pray more, fast more, try for a better breakthrough. And with that, we got to the place where we got into demonology, believing the devil is over everything, believing, and in the 80s we had that move, uh, and, and, and even into the 90s, as even some people still stuck in it, thinking it is the devil is in everything. 
you know, and it is because of an open door through um, your ancestors that sinned, and it was the sins of the forefathers that came through onto you, and that's why you don't have the breakthrough. And we fell into all of that, and all kinds of legalism, um, you know, uh, we, we fell into. And then the wonderful message of God's grace came, the message of God's love, and um, we think now is the time because we are in the grace message it is not my work I was always working thinking I'm gonna have these things now it's not, not my work but we have still not changed our goal our goal is still what we had in the world it hasn't changed it's still the same we were just looking for a different source to provide what we think salvation is and we find that we're gonna be discouraged even in the message of grace you know um, I said this I said to my wife I, I said uh, what I'm about to say I said to her and she said to me you know when you say that people are gonna freak out and they're gonna say you're a heretic um, but I'm still gonna say it because I feel it is the truth if you read the Bible if you read the New Testament you will not find Paul preaching a gospel let me give you this Paul hasn't got one chapter on healing in the Bible in his writings not one there is not one by that I'm not saying that there is not healing by that I'm not saying we cannot expect healing like I said to you for those of you that watch by the internet you know this 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 whole week I've been um, not well I've been <clears throat> ill Thursday and Friday I felt a bit better and as I'm standing here I don't feel well my expectation is that I can be healed so I'm not taking healing away I'm expecting it but it, the truth still remains that Paul didn't write one chapter on healing in all of his letters but we've got Sunday upon Sunday upon Sunday making that even the end goal of our salvation Paul hasn't got one chapter on how you can become rich he doesn't have one there is no such a chapter in the New Testament but what we do see we see a gospel that can bring joy in your life doesn't matter what that we do see and we've got those verses everywhere by that I'm not saying you cannot be rich by that I'm not saying that my child cannot play in the first hockey team or the A team or the uh, 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 do good in his sport or anything like that I'm not excluding anything I just think we need to get the balance <clears throat> the reason I'm saying that is because of these goals we've set for ourselves from the beginning we, we, we get raised up in these things it became a way by which we measure our success and each other and we we start to um, stumble in our relationship with God when we behold the success of others not seeing the success we are all in so because you use a wrong ruler you are always going to walk always there will always be somebody that has reached your goals that you think or that the world thinks is the end goal of a blessed life 
better than you. So you will always walk around with the emotion of defeat. Um, if you have that belief system. So um, let me just get back to the title of the message. The title of the message is How do I handle the victory of others in the presence of my own defeat? If I look at my own life, if I had a certain belief, which I don't have, but should I have had that, I would have felt defeated all the time in the last 18 years or whatever that I preach grace. Because there will always be somebody that's got a better revelation than you or that has seen something in scripture that I, that I have not seen. Um, there will always be somebody with a larger church. There will always be a pastor that is that people love more than what they're going to love me. There will always be somebody that gets invited to a bigger uh, meeting than what I'm going to be invited to. And I might even be a person that gets invited to a bigger meeting than somebody else gets invited to. So that is, that is how it's going to be. So we, because of a certain belief, we will always have to handle, if we have the wrong belief, our own defeat in the presence of the victory of others because of a wrong definition of victory. So I'm going to look at some basic stuff and I'm going to look at the Apostle Paul and how the Apostle Paul was going through the very same thing and how he suffered and how he asked God three times you know, to get that system out of his life or actually um, you know, to provide for him in a way wherein he could have that stamp of success you know, on his ministry and feel that he's making an impact in the world. I want to read from 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 this is not talking about money although the teaching is not about money it says but they who want to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare thank you Miss God but they that want to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which plunge men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, and of, of which some have lusted after, they, have, they were seduced from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, when I look at my life, even if I am in the grace message, even if I have the knowledge of grace, the knowledge that I am the righteousness of God, the knowledge that I have already attained unto everything that I could ever attain unto the knowledge that I have been blessed the knowledge that God smiles over my, my life the knowledge that I am fully accepted the knowledge that I am co-seated in the Trinity that I am seated with God in the Godhead the knowledge that I shall become immortal in Christ that knowledge that knowledge can never supersede and outpower what you really believe and even if I am in the grace message, but there is still a, a law belief in my heart, even if I confess grace, what I feel is what I believe. That is the way it is. And the word of faith system, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, with the Copelands and, and, and the Hagans and all those people, there they had something right. And that is that out of your heart flows the issues that drives your life. 
even in my own life, <clears throat> you will, I will find areas where I would say, man, I wish I could see some victory here. I wish I could see it there. But I know, I know that the reason, you know, that I don't see certain things is directly connected to some kind of a belief in my heart. Th that is it. And as I said before the service, for those of you that, that have not heard this, <clears throat> the Bible talks about the love of money here. The love of money. Now, where the problem comes in with the love of money, <clears throat> and, and in the Greek this is what it means, the, the word love there is the word covetous, which comes from two other Greek root words, which the one is um, phileo, which means friend, and the other one is the word for silver, to befriend silver, or to, be the, to have money as your friend. Now, in the Jewish setup, when it came to marriage, there was a certain belief concerning the friend of the bridegroom. Okay, the friend of the bridegroom. And that's exactly what John the Baptist, now that it dawns on me, that what he was. Okay? He was the friend of the bridegroom. And what the friend of the bridegroom did was to go and ask the bride for her hand in marriage for the bridegroom. Okay? On behalf of the bridegroom. And then he would do certain, uh, 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 fulfill certain services concerning the whole marriage thing. And what his job was, was to seal the deal on the marriage. That was his job, to seal the deal. So, when it talks about the love of money here, it talks about befriending money and, and that money seals the deal on your marriage with God. So that you can say, and this is exactly, now, now you, you can have the love of money or you can have the love of miracles or you can have the love of a breakthrough or you can have the love of healing or you can have the love of whatever you want to put in there that would seal the deal for you on what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And that would be the root of all legalism in your life and in that belief you will be pierced through with many sorrows, the Bible says. Okay. So we cannot, uh, uh, you, you know, <clears throat> if I look at my life and I look at the victory of another person, you know, and I look at at, at how they spend their money and how they do things and I think but you know they waste here they waste there they the moment I started thinking that those thoughts come to my mind red lights come on and say something's wrong because why am I worried and bothered with another man's money and why am I bothered with another man's holiness or breakthrough or invitation to whatever church he preaches or who follows him and who loves him and who approves of him? And we can make it more practical even in this world. I come to church, you know, and I, I've come to the Grace Church and, and here in the Grace Message, you know, I saw, uh, say for instance, Gerald's life just have a massive change and we see the life of Christ coming to him, you know, but I am still struggling. What is this now? Why is it not working for me? What you've done is, you've taken something and befriended it to be the seal on the deal concerning the union that God has declared in the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus Christ with you. Jesus says, I am your friend. He is the one that seals the deal. So, <clears throat> when He rose from the dead, 
was seated at the right hand of the Father. It was a truth about each one of us. We believed upon Him and received the Holy Spirit, which is the seal of our salvation, based on the fact that Christ has sealed everything for us. The Spirit is the, when the Bible talks about the Spirit as the seal for our, of our salvation, meaning literally is the down payment or the proof that we shall be made immortal. That is what it actually means. We've, we've made a very big thing of it, but it would act, what it actually means is the moment I've received the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, when I received Him, it means that I shall be made immortal one day. And we can be very technical about these things, which I don't want to go into today. In today. But Jesus and who He is, is the final word about your life. He is your life. So, the only thing that can, can get you to a place where you stand in defeat, you feel defeated because the victory of somebody else is when your eye is upon victory as what they experience. That's the only way, that's the foundation from where that can be born. That's just the way it is. You know, I remember years ago there was a guy who, <clears throat> you know, I, I preached grace. And um, there was a young man and he, he just got into grace. And I would teach him a lot of things, you know. In the grace message, when we would come together, I would share some things and he wouldn't understand. And I would share some more with him. And then uh, one day, uh, uh, Ray McCauley and him became friends. And Ray gave him his stage in Rayma. And then through Ray, he became a friend with Reinhard Bonker. And my life, always I wanted to be a friend of Reinhard Bonker. <laughs> and here's this guy that knew much less than me, that I am teaching every now and then, and he's now a friend with Reinhard Bonker, and I see the pictures where he preached in front of a million people. And I'm still preaching in front of that time, 2000 or whatever. Then I was just thinking, you know, so in that time, there was a I was tempted to become legalistic. Why? Because I've, I've already had my definition of success and breakthrough defined in who, who is my friend on this world and what I've reached. Can I reach thousands? We are reaching thousands at the moment. I'm not saying we cannot reach thousands. I'm talking about is what you reach your friend or is Jesus your friend? What seals the deal for you on your salvation? What seals the deal? So, and, and I mean, I might come over a bit strong, but I want you to understand that knowledge can never save you. Knowledge is a wonderful thing, but a belief in the heart, a full persuasion in the heart is what brings you to the place where you can experience what Paul calls righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the revelation of Christ. There must be what was in the Apostle Paul's heart, that which caused him to sing in jail, is what he was talking about. He did not think, well, you know, I, I'm, uh, um, I'm not a free man, so I am sad or anything. His life, he only had one vision, and that was who Christ is, is who he is, and that is God's word about you. Now, let's look quickly at what Jesus said in Luke 12 here. He says, um, now, now this might sound very rude, but let's just look at this prayer request somebody had, uh, and he came directly to Jesus. He says, And one that accompanied him said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. 
Now imagine, here's, here's a guy, he's praying to Jesus, he says to Jesus, Jesus, my brother inherited everything, obviously he, the, the brother was the older one, and um, he said, now, will you tell him to share the inheritance with me? Then Jesus said, Ma'am, who made me a judge or divider over you? Why do you, want me, why do you want to involve me in this? Now imagine today, your brother inherits everything and you get nothing. Now you go to Jesus. Oh Jesus, I pray. I'm in your grace and your, I know you provide for me. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Do you think he's going to answer you differently? He's going to say, what do I have to do with this money stuff? What do I have to do with this inheritance? And then Jesus pointed, to, to, pointed him to what is really important. He says, take heed, beware of covetousness, the love of money, or befriending money. So what he, Jesus knew that this man's provision is already taken care of in the Father. And that you will see if you read the rest of Luke 12, because there is just a, a copy or another uh, instance of what happened in Matthew 6, where Jesus said, look at the birds of the air and those kind of things. First seek the righteousness of God and all your needs shall be met. So what he said to him, he says, listen, you are now at a place where you see what your brother has and what you don't have. So be careful now. You're anyway going to be cared for. But the problem here is not if you're going to have money or not. The problem here is I, what I'm seeing in your heart. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm seeing you already now at a place where you want to befriend money. So that money can seal the deal on a successful life. Because the Jews believed that prosperity was the sign of God's approval over your life. In my book on money, I go, I'm really going in depth into that. I, I think I spent about a chapter on that, uh, on what the Jews thought and, and what their belief was concerning this money thing. We need to understand, you know, that if Jesus would be here today and I would say to him, Jesus, could you help my son that he plays A-team hockey? He would say to me, beware of befriending the A-team in hockey. Beware of it. What your son needs to have a happy, joyful, blessed life is already provided and I will, he can have what is in his heart to have. That he can have. But the biggest thing is watch out now that you don't befriend that to seal the deal on if I provide for you or not. That's what he's saying. So here was a brother and his uh, uh, two brothers. The one was rich, the other one wasn't. They were even brothers. And he, what this brother did was he was beholding the success of the, his, his other brother. It would have been the older brother in Jewish customs. And he felt defeated. He came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, end this feeling of defeat. End what I'm feeling here by telling him to share with me. The, having the manifestation of something as the root of healing his heart which would be the very same thing as what the devil said to Jesus when he was in the desert take the stone make it a bread and then you will know you are the son of God 
you know, have a manifestation of who you are and what has been provided for you. And that is where I believe the emotion of I am defeated in the presence of the victory of others come in. Uh, Jesus is going to provide for us anyway. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness. In other words, let your life be without befriending money. And I want to just say that love of money is much more than just money. It's a love of anything to be that which seals a deal for you. Let your love, let your conversation be uh, without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now what he's actually saying here is, listen, in whatever state you have, you are, never let that define you as or define as God has left me. He says, in that state that you are in, you know, let, let me use something very practical. My son plays cricket, so I bought this bowling machine for him. You know, like uh, Rabbi Zachariah says, for those of you that watch in, from America, cricket is something that Americans will only understand understand once they play it in heaven so <laughs> so uh, it, you know so, so I got we got this bowling machine and we spent some money and we were really training hard you know and and he really became like the best batsman they have but when he gets onto the field because we've trained in also then he you know so, so we, we, the moment you're on the field your eye is not focused you know, on the ball anymore. It's all of a sudden you've got everything around you here. You know, and you can go and hear all these big cricket players say that a, th a thousand balls on an open pitch is much better, a, a one ball on an open pitch is much better than a thousand in the nets. You know, so here he stands and he gets stage fright. You know, because the moment is so big, everybody looks, we've worked so hard for this, he gets stage fright and he's just, he's out for three runs. The one time was out, second ball. The other time, time he made 21 runs. But I mean, here I could, I could feel what's going on. He could feel defeated. You know, he could feel what's going on, you know. The other guy that hasn't even trained hard, he made 25 runs. But look at me now. And look at what I am in. Me as a father, you know, I can go and sit and say, what's going on? And, and all of a sudden, I could have something else seal the deal on my joy. Because I've been saved from a life where I live with stress and defeated unto something else and I already have all of it right now in the Spirit in Christ. And we need nothing to be added unto it. So we could say, it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Why is grace not working? You know, because we think grace must work in, how my, in my case and how my son plays cricket. Grace doesn't work like that. Grace is, doesn't matter what he gets, thank God. Hallelujah. The Bible clearly says in Luke 12 there, it says, um, Take heed of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. Your life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. So will I also say, your life does not consist in your health. If it doesn't consist in your wealth, it doesn't consist in your health. Because what about those that don't have limbs, that can't walk? What about those that were born crippled? Can't they ever have quality of life then? And I know what I'm saying is challenging, you know, because we have been brought up with a world where the end goal is something. I'm never saying 
Jesus never said there that you will not have abundance of possessions. He says your life is not in the abundance of your possessions. Your life is not in your healing. Your life is not in your breakthrough. It is not in that. So why do you feel defeated in that time? You feel defeated in that time because of a certain belief that is connected towards it. And the only thing I do in times like that, very practical, is I just go and I sit down, I pray to my Father, and I want to tell you, one of the best prayers prayers you can ever pray is one word help <laughs> help me Lord I just want to understand who I am and I find him revealing more of who I am who I really am in Christ you know and I find peace and joy coming to my heart doesn't matter what the situation is in I love Hebrews 13:5. let your conversation be without covetousness let your life be without that the need of a friend to seal the deal and be content with such things as you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you nothing that you have is a sign that he is with you and nothing that you don't have is a sign that he's not with you that's what he's saying there God is with you he is your friend he has sealed the deal for you he, he loves you for who you are I don't say we can't go, go to God with anything that we have in our life, any need we have. Talk to your Father. Let Him provide for you. He shall provide for you. I am talking about what happens should He provide. Or should it manifest what you ask for. And what happens should it not happen in the time span that you think it should happen. That's what I'm talking about because this is what this message is about. How do I handle the victory of others in the presence of my own defeat? I want to talk about Paul here and I'm going to end off with Paul in the next 10 minutes here. Paul had a thorn in the flesh and I want to just explain what a thorn in the flesh was. Many times we think that, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 that unto him was given a thorn in the flesh. And then, it's a, then we think and traditionally we thought that God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. That is not at all what that scripture talks about. A, a thorn in the flesh was never a, a demon that was beating you. There were, now, you know, the, the, the word buffet there means to beat on the ear with a fist. Okay? That's what it means. So, for those of you that know the traditional teaching where Paul says, uh, a messenger of Satan was given unto me to buffet me, it was taught in charismatic circles, for those of you that watch watched by the internet know what I'm talking about, that the devil, God assigned a demon to come and actually humble Paul, that he would not boast too much. And he, he was either blind or he had struggled to hear. That's what they, what's traditionally taught about that verse. But let's look at what a thorn in the flesh is. <clears throat> Number one, Paul clearly said what a thorn in the flesh is. He said it was an, a messenger from Satan. So it was a preacher. It was a preacher that preached the law. That came to all his churches where he preached. And they were chasing off the money, those preachers. Took up big offerings. And I, I don't have time now, but I can prove all of that. It's written in the scripture like that. And never even cared for the people and brought in legalism and the love of money into the grace churches Paul planted and all those people fell from the grace message back into legalism and Paul was standing and he was saying where is the success of my ministry I've got nothing I've got nothing I've got the greatest revelation I've got a greater revelation than all the apostles but the, the apostles that mix the thing up 
they've got all the followers they've got the people and there Paul was beholding his own defeat in the presence of the victory of the others and then he prayed three times three times he asked the father he says get this get this messenger of Satan this false apostle if you read chapter 11 and 12 together get the, these messengers that come and break the church away from me because we can boast above measure in what Christ has done obviously if we because of the revelation and what it produces so I would be able the Apostle Paul I would be able to say look the whole of Asia has changed the whole of Ephesus has changed look at what the grace message has done and he couldn't say that he had nothing to show for what he believed the Apostle Paul and after the third time in prayer Jesus said to him my grace is for you Paul my grace is sufficient for you in other words how I influence you that I love you and I bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in your life and our personal relationship is enough for you to have the fullness of life you don't need all these things to have to boast exceedingly you can the Bible says boast in the Lord and I want to add boast exceedingly in the Lord and what is given to you did Paul have a big impact eventually well we're reading his letters 2000 years later you know all over the world so it's not that he couldn't have it but when it looked as if there was nothing and others are doing so much better so much better you know then you can have that thing in your heart where you feel what's going on just to prove to you that a thorn in the flesh is people and where Paul got it from it was a Jewish saying that comes from Numbers 33 verse 55 it says but if you will not drive out the inhabitants out of the land before you this is now God instructing Israel telling them drive out all the inhabitants of the land okay then it shall then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain to them shall be pricks in your eyes and a thorn in your side and they shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell so what it says is if Israel came in and they did not cast out all the Jebusites or the Philistines or whatever there's not one left those people will become a thorn in the flesh for them that is what will happen because because those people will be poor they're going to have a lot of children they you're going to sit with people that want to steal from you you're going to sit with 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 uh, um, you know you're going to you're going to be forced into a place where you want to make slaves you know and all those things are going to happen which you don't want so drive all of them out in the New Testament what happens here now that was what Paul was talking about that's a scripture that he used when he talked about a messenger of Satan and a false apostle apostles of the devil the previous chapter says that was sent by the devil these people came and it was given unto him not God somebody said somebody maybe from the Sanhedrin or somebody said give Paul these preachers let go after him wherever he preach like in Asia if you, read the, if you read Acts the Bible says and the whole of Asia repented and then you read later on Paul says we've got no one in Asia nothing left such an unsuccessful ministry in today's day they will say you know it's because of his weird doctrine that nobody wants to follow him that's what they would say 
But in that time, when Paul felt that defeat, when he felt, I also want to boast, I also want to show what my gospel can produce, because these other apostles have got these churches and these following, and they are rich. I come to you, I never ask you money. This is what Paul said to the people in Corinth. I never ask you money. I give my life to you. I come here, I work. While I work, I serve you. I'm the best servant there could ever be for you. Never even asking you a plate of food. I'm even willing to do it again for you. But then, when these other apostles come, they abuse you. They take all your money. They lie to you. Then you follow them. And I ask God to take this, this preacher, this thorn in the flesh, away from me. And God says, why do you want him to be away? Why do you need success in ministry to be happy, Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. That's how you deal with defeat in the presence of others' victory. Let me read this. <clears throat> Peter comes in John 21 and, he's, uh, and Jesus said to him, he says, I'm telling you the very truth. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you get old, you have, um, you'd, you'd have to stretch out your hands while some, uh, someone else dressed you and take you where you don't want to go. Now what he was talking about, it was talking about the crucifixion of Paul. Of, of, of Peter when he would be crucified and he says when you were young you did what you want but when, you, when you're old one day they're going to stretch you out and they're going to take you to a place where you don't wish to go and that he would die um, you know a martyr's death <clears throat> um, and this he said yeah sorry I wonder why this, this thing doesn't, can't make the text bigger so I struggle to see and he said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he commanded, follow me. Turning his head, Peter noticed the disciple Jesus loved following right behind. Now this was John. When Peter noticed him, he said, Jesus, Master, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, if I want him to live until, until I come again, how will that ever be to your benefit? You follow me. Okay, that, that piece there which is how will it be to your benefit, I just translated from the Greek there. The English says, King James, what, did he, what is that to you? The Greek says, to what benefit is that to you? So, if John would have the victory of even walking in immortality, and you're going to be crucified not long from now, why do you worry about his victory? You follow me. And forget what they have, forget what they get, forget everything. I have got a love relationship with you. And I want to tell you people, this might be a, a, a bit of a hard word, but I want to tell you that this is the only way where we're going to walk in true victory. Wherein Jesus' word about your life is the final word. Where what you have today, contentment. Contentment means to see no need to investigate or to add anything. Not to need the approval of. So when you're content is, I don't need the approval of anything to seal the deal that I am the blessed of God. I am the righteousness of God. But you, you can say, but I am ill. I feel pain in my back. I struggle with depression. Other people got free. What is their freedom to you? Forget their healing. You go and you 
Focus on God. I need to end off. When we look at Jesus himself, you know, um, there was a time when Jesus went into the desert and when he went to the desert, the Bible says he became hungry. The scripture says, um, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. You know, there can come a time in your life when you are hungry for healing. When you are hungry for the breakthrough. I'm not saying you're not going to have the breakthrough. I'm talking about when you get hungry. What do you do in that time? We don't throw a fit because we're hungry. And even if you do throw a fit because you're hungry, we've got a merciful, loving God that will never change His mind about us, that will always point us back to the original plan and the original design that we have, that we can have our minds renewed, for we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So in that time, what do we do? We want to hear continually just the word of the Father about us. Hallelujah. I want to tell you your needs are met in Christ. In this world, if you, I don't want to promise you you're going to become rich. Is there, is there such a thing as you can prosper and God can bless you? Yes. But I don't want you to come to this fellowship or watch this message via the internet and have your joy in the hope of the things of this world that Christ can give you. He says that He is your Father and He knows what need you have and He shall meet it anyway. So it's a given. You're already going to have it. So why will I now try and get you happy by having your joy in what God's going to give you anyway? I want your joy to be founded in the fact that I am sinless. I am righteous. I'm united with Him. I brought nothing into this world and I can take nothing out of this world. Yet, in Him, when He returns, I will be immortal with Him. We shall have anything, any, anyway. Amen. Glory to God. But our joy is in His smile over my life. You know, when we sing that song, you know, when I was on, on, on YouTube, I tell you, I spend a lot of hours trying to find grace songs you can say we sing the same songs over and over bring me the grace songs we can sing them because the moment there's hunger and thirst and please come down God and those things I don't sing it in this church then we sing the old song over and over you know and if my church is a boring church because we only sing grace songs and we don't allow law songs then let it, let it be a boring church cricket is boring yet nice you know <laughs> <laughs> we cannot change but as I was listening to that and you hear the words you are my hiding place you know just everything falls from you I feel safe with God I feel safe there in the presence of all accusation in my life as I look right now I can also say there are others with victory and I am walking in defeat there's others that look at me they can say, Bert is in victory and they are in defeat. At the end of the day, it will all be, in church terms, how big your church is, 
you know, and how much money you have and who you know. That's where, where the whole thing will basically end. Glory to God. So, that's basically what I want to say. I want to let, just, let me just say something very interesting. You know, with the Oscar Petouris trial <clears throat> that is on now, I, I spoke to some lady and she said to me, you know, I so wish. But she thinks he's guilty. Okay? So there are always some people think he's guilty, others not. Who cares, you know, at this moment of time. But here, he's guilty and it looks as if he's going to be found innocent. So now she's upset. She says, she prays that God would let justice justice must happen and then I said to her if what is just pertaining to our works must happen we must all go to hell she said no 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 but I talk about this case I said let's use a case just like that in this world there was a woman caught in the very act of adultery she was brought before Jesus Jesus says I don't condemn you so would you be happy enough if Jesus don't condemn him I asked her you know and she said to me you know I've, I'm thinking wrong about the gospel that's what she said I'm thinking wrong about the gospel a woman caught in the act of adultery that was in pain there Jesus saw her still as forgiven she could in that situation not see her forgiveness because she sees her condemnation and her separation from God but Jesus always saw what was true so don't let another person's victory become your defeat or define your defeat you are victorious don't let if my children serve God be the sign and the seal on the deal have only Jesus as your friend Amen let's pray <clears throat> Father I want to thank you for your unconditional love your mercy and your grace thank you for your hand that always provides for us thank you for your healing that takes place through signs wonders and miracles thank you that we can expect those things but above all I want to thank you that we don't ever 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 have to befriend those things for you are the friend of mankind and we acknowledge your friendship we phileo you you are our friend and you are the seal on the deal thank you Lord that our joy can be based in who you are amen and amen glory to God Annette will it say come and testify I, I just want to you know, testify uh, about a time when I was accused of, of, of walking in presumption. I, I, I felt so guilty afterwards, you know, that I'm, I'm walking in presumption. But only when, when we realized what, what we have in Christ, I realized I'm, I'm actually walking in security. You know, we were just on the point before we, should, we would have entered a, a, a country, it was a, we, we call it a frontier country, where you would be killed when you cross as a Christian, you know, and we wanted to take, out, take in some Christian material. And the, the week or few days before we entered, you know, a, a, 
the, the people in the group got very much afraid, you know, and they started, uh, and the other missionaries also said, you must pray, you must pray, and you must fast, and, uh, and they waited actually for us to cry, to start crying, you know, and the night before the people cried and fasted, and I was sitting there and I thought, What's wrong with me? Because I had such a strong focus on, on a word I got and something I knew is going to happen inside that there, were, there was no fear in me. And I didn't feel like praying and fasting and crying. I was so focused. And then they said, but you, you, are, you must pray and fast, otherwise you are walking in presumption. Presuming what? Pre presuming, you know, that, that everything will be fine, yeah. you know. And, you know, afterwards, uh, 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 during that time when we returned to South Africa, I got an illness, you know, in my skin, uh, eczema or something, and uh, I, had, I, I was very troubled because I needed to go to a doctor, you know. And actually the doctor at the end um, prescribed some natural, like a vitamin E. But I, I, was, I felt so guilty because I... I, I you know, I sat with these tablets before me and I, I, I said, God, um, am I not trusting you anymore? Why am I going to use this? And then I clearly heard the words, I provide it, you know, in the past tense. And I thought, okay, yes, that is, that it, it is Jesus. We have the healing in Jesus. And, but I couldn't really understand what it all means, you know. And then I got, I got a peace in myself that I can just use this as part of God's provision. You know, and after that time, many, many times when I, you know, I, have pro I had problem with my feet and I had to go for the operation two months ago, I'm out of the wheelchair now for four days. But even, even having that, you know, and, and uh, decided to, deciding to go for an for a operation, I, you know people, I really felt no need to fast and pray and whatever. I just, I was living in presumption. I was so full of security of what I have. I, it, it has been provided. So many times people would, would ask me, you know, um, when they see I'm going in a troubling time, you know, it happened also a year ago, they would say, can I pray for you? And then for a moment, I, th I will think, why? You know, because I have a security about this. But you know, one wonderful thing was the day before I went into the operation, here, Badi prayed about my feet. And he said, uh, he prayed for the doctor, and he said, so that there might be no pain afterwards. And that moment, I thought, you know, I never thought of that. I, I had a previous kind of operation and I had a lot of pain afterwards and I got through it. So now I was expecting the pain as part of the whole procedure. And he prayed for the pain. You know what? This was the most painless operation and post-operative time I ever had. <laughs> but my, my mind just got... You know, I got the faith about that. It was part of my security then. It was part of my presumption then. That's what I want to tell you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Isn't that good news?